0: Well, good morning to you. Thank you all so much for being here with us today. Let me go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. And today we're going to be specifically looking at verses 12 through 16. And as you're turning there, just as something just to let you be aware of, uh, in the back you can find this information as you leave. Uh, uh, But two Saturdays ago, or last Saturday, uh, we sat down with uh, two men... Uh, with the Ordination Council and both Mike Fulbright and Jeff Wilkins. We're excited to say we're uh, nominating them to become elders of Battleground Community Church. So Pastor Stephen will be explaining more about what this looks like over the next 60 days. Uh, but we are so excited for this, this time. to something we've been praying about for a long time. And I can just say from serving with both these men and knowing both of their lives, hearing their testimonies, hearing what they believe, that this church is going to be in very good hands in the future. Amen. So with that said, if you're there at Romans chapter uh, chapter 2, if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Starting at verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Father, this is um, a very heavy text. Gotta pray you to prepare our hearts. Lord, not only to see our desperate need as individuals, oh God, but see the desperate need around this world this morning. That before you, a holy God, we are convicted of our sin, but only through, cover, through people with cover with Christ, Will be forgiven. What I pray this morning that your word would be clear. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would lead our time through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. At the beginning of time in the middle of this garden, in the coolness of the day, this couple named Adam and Eve were hiding from God because of what they had done. They were in shame. You see, this couple was given a command. You can eat anything, any fruit from any tree you see in this garden, but do not eat from this one specific tree. And you know the story. They ate from the tree. I've always been interested in in, in Genesis chapter 3 down at verse 12. I love the excuse they give. Adam says in verse 12, Genesis 3, the woman who you gave me, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. God looks at Eve. What'd you do? Why'd you do it? She says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. There's many things that people are really good at. But the universal truth that stands the test of time is that people are great at making excuses. For good or bad, we always try to defend ourselves right we always try to simply justify what we have or have not done anytime we can shift the blame off ourselves anytime we can make ourselves look good anytime we can make an excuse for ourselves from something we didn't or did do we're going to do it it's who we are right it's what we do we as people make excuses all the time I guarantee you you're like me, you've probably made two or three excuses this morning, even before you came to these doors. This morning in Romans chapter 2, Paul is addressing a few concerns. There we call them excuses that two different groups of people had or could bring up concerning the day of judgment. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at the day when King Jesus returns To his earth, bringing both judgment and salvation. Certainly, this day is going to be glorious, but also dreadful. Wonderful, yet miserable. On that day, every person will stand before their Creator and give an account for everything that they have done. The godly will be welcomed into eternal joy, the ungodly will be sent to eternal punishment. Here in this text, Paul continues his discussion on this day by addressing a few concerns that have come up uh, pertaining to who is included in this judgment. If God's judgment is based on one's obedience to the law of God, then are there people who will be excluded from this judgment because of their knowledge, which in this case would be the Jew, or lack of knowledge, the unreached Gentile of God's written law? To simplify this question, we could ask it this way. Do those with or without God's written law have an excuse before God on judgment day? Here in this passage, Paul answers this question responding to both the Jew and Gentile by ultimately pointing out that no person will be excluded from this day of judgment and that every excuse will be exposed before God. So let's... Look at specifically this morning three excuses. There's going to be many excuses God will expose, but three excuses specifically in this text that God will expose on judgment day. And I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode because sure as the world my father would call in the worst moment possible. So I'm going to put this in my mind. So three excuses. So on the day when we stand before the king, the first excuse that will be exposed is But I have heard God's written law. Go back with me to verse 12. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So so this first excuse stems from the idea that since I was born with a certain family, a certain status, with certain privileges, then I certainly am right before God myself. Since they are, then so am I. This excuse is from those who have been raised in the church, who've been raised in the family who worships Jesus, who's been at church every single week, who has a Bible in their home, who's constantly hearing God's word, yet not really ingesting it for themselves. We could say it this way, Jesus is the Lord of their family's lives, but not their lives. In Paul's day, the Jewish people heard the law recited in all kinds of sacred occasions. The Old Testament was literally read verbally and audibly almost daily in the synagogue. And because of this, the Jewish people mostly concluded that since they possessed this written law of God, which was also part of God's covenant with them, they were guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of God. Here in verse 13, Paul rebukes this understanding by stating that, what really should be obvious to everyone, it's not the hearers of the law who will be declared righteous before God, but the doers of the law. Another way to say this is that just hearing the law is not enough. James one twenty two says, "But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving." yourselves. Jesus in Matthew 7 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But notice what he says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Paul is saying that if our hearing does not produce in us a doing, then we are just fooling ourselves. Listen, you can listen to 15 sermons a week, listen to the best Christian podcast, hint, hint, Bible life that me and John have every week. We need listeners, y'all. You can listen to the greatest worship music every day, every second. But if that hearing doesn't affect our love for Jesus and our obedience to his mission, then what are we really achieving? You see, our hearing must produce in us a doing for the glory of God. And this is ultimately achieved through the Holy Spirit that now lives in every believer. But the Jewish people boasted in their possession of God's written law. But the problem was that God's written law has never possessed them. Paul says to be justified by the law, you must do it. But listen, not just do it, you got to do it perfectly, perfectly. To do God's written law is to do it with perfect obedience. And here we're getting to the ultimate problem that Israel faced, that we all face. We see throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts that the Jewish people were trying so hard, so hard, To obey every aspect of God's law. They were trying to work as hard as they could to get right with God. But the sad reality is that they were missing the true purpose of the law. The law was given to display God's holiness, his righteousness. But also to reveal to us how we could live in in a right way before him. What's right in his sight. One of the law's main purposes is to reveal to us that we all have a sin problem that's worthy of destruction. And listen, that we have no capability of fulfilling God's righteous standards on our own. It's impossible. Paul says, if you go a few pages over to Romans 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. If Yet if it had not been for the law, listen to what he says, I would have not known sin. For I would have known not known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But listen, sin to seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. What Paul is saying is that the law teaches us what's right and wrong before God. And because we had this sin problem, it's impossible for us to do everything that's pleasing in the sight of God. Literally, sin bubbles up inside of us. And it entices us, honestly like Adam and Eve, to do the very things we are told not to do. Yes, one of the law's main purposes is to reveal to us that we all have a sin problem. But listen, the ultimate purpose is to point us to Jesus, our Savior. In John chapter five, down to verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Down to verse 45, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, the law, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, ultimately, our justification isn't based on our fulfillment of the law, but on Jesus' fulfillment of the law for us in Romans chapter 10 the NLT translation starting at verse 1 says dear brothers and sisters the longing of my heart and the prayer my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved I know what enthusiasm they have for God but it is misdirected zeal for they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves Or refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in Him are made right with God. So our question then is: How did Jesus fulfill the law for us? What did He do? Well, again, Scripture answers it clearly for us. Go to Romans eight, verse three. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh cannot do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus fulfills the law perfectly through his perfect life. He never sinned. He was perfectly obedient to God's law. But listen, he perfectly fulfilled it through his perfect sacrifice at the cross. And he perfectly fulfilled it when he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he now gives life in the status of covenant righteousness to anyone who puts their faith in him. Song we sing here often, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Verse two says... Come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect Son of Man, in his living and his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man, Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law in him we stand. So first on this day of judgment, when the books are opened, when we all stand before God. There, God will expose the excuse that a person not covered with the righteousness of Christ is righteous before him for merely hearing his laws. The second excuse that God will expose on judgment day is that, but I've never heard God's written law. But I've never heard God's written law. Go with me to verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So this second excuse stems from this idea that everyone doesn't have access to God's written laws. Now that's true in Paul's day, it's still true today, right? There's people who've never heard about God, never heard about the Bible, never heard the name Jesus. It's a universal situation. All people, there's not, every people group has not been reached yet. The excuse at hand says that since these people, people literally have no access to God's written laws, how then could God accuse them on judgment day for disobeying his laws? If you played a game a made-up game with your friends later on, and you are not not taught all the rules, how then could they blame you if you break the rules? Fair question. That's what they're asking here. Listen, this subject is certainly something that we must consider because the ramifications of this answer echoes to us today. There's a teaching of universalism that eventually everyone will be saved. Why does that matter? What's so important about this, right? Listen, we can't miss what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is that even those who do not have God's written laws have no excuse before God because God's universal moral code is etched on every person's heart. I love, I like reading different translations of the Bible, I just think it's super helpful. And the message translation was very, so beautifully clear and understandable with this text today. In verse 14 in the message, it says, when outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien, opposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There's something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no. Right and wrong. So Romans 1 tells us that no one has an excuse for not knowing that there is a holy and righteous God because he's revealed himself through his creation. Here Paul is saying that no one has an excuse for not understanding God's laws because God has also placed within each person a general moral code that reflects the very heart of his written laws. So let's just think about that for a moment. Just think of a person who lives on the coast of East Africa. Never heard about the name of Jesus. Never heard the Bible. But they're raised and they, they understand that murder is wrong. Sex, sex trafficking is wrong. Adultery, wrong. They also understand that providing and taking care of their children is right. That taking care of the fatherless is Right. Taking care of the widow, the, the neighbor is right. I mean, isn't that person really being obedient to God's written law even though they've never heard of it? How's that possible? How's, how was how, how that true? Here's the answer God created every person in his image, and he has written his moral laws on every heart. I think about Acts 17 says that God has set boundaries of people and nations. And I honestly believe that God has done and is doing this partially by setting boundaries on our moral standards, on man's morality itself. Like God is actually protecting us from our selves. stopping we'll stop in Putin right now. We'll stop in North Korea. God's moral laws in their hearts. They know what's right and wrong. Paul says that every person with their own conscience understands what's right and wrong. And this very truth bears witness that God's moral law has been written on their hearts. And it's by this very law that they will be judged one day. Notice down in verse 15, on the day of judgment, when everyone stands before King Jesus, those without access to God's written laws will stand before their creator with their own conflicting thoughts, fully aware of all the right and wrong that they have ever done. So, because every person has these moral laws written on their hearts, and because these moral laws reflect the heart of God's written law, on Judgment Day, God will expose the excuse that someone has never heard his law and will hold every person accountable to their obedience to the law that they received, whether through paper or on their heart. All this leads then to our, the third excuse that God will expose, which is, but God will surely exempt me. God will surely exempt me go with me again back to verse 12 for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law drop down to verse 16 with me on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus So I've already been hinting at this throughout this message so far. The first two excuses are really excuses for this ultimate excuse. Because the two groups existed, the Jew who had God's written law, the Gentile who did not have God's written law, each group believed that they had a legitimate excuse for why they should be exempt on judgment day. Again, as aforementioned, they each were leaning on either their superior knowledge and access to God's law or their ignorance to God's law. In any case, they firmly believed that God would look over their sin and would grant them salvation. This mindset's no different than ours today in this world. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to somebody and they said, Oh, yeah, me and God's good. Made agreement with him a long time ago. He's not looking at me. Oh, I'll still see him one day in heaven. Think about when people pass away. Think about media. Someone dies. What do they say? We know they're in a better place. Had no desire for Jesus their whole life. Live fully in sin. Ah, oh, they're in a better place. And I'm going to see him one day in heaven. If we're honest, people really don't want to believe that God is a God of holiness and righteousness. That he gives true justice and gives what people actually deserve. People love loving the accepting God. But if you mention his justice, if you mention his judgment, this is considered spiritual bigotry, and hatred, People really believe that God would surely not send anyone to an eternal hell where there's endless agony and torture. That they can live their way lives any way they please without any spiritual repercussions. Listen, brothers and sisters, we must understand and proclaim that God doesn't show favoritism. Go back to verse 11 last week. For God shows no partiality. Today, the anthem is inclusion. Don't exclude anybody. Everybody's welcomed. Brothers and sisters, here is a sober warning from Scripture this morning. On the day of judgment, God will judge and sentence every single sinner. No exclusions. No one will be able to say that they were left out because, as we have been discussing Everyone will give an account for how they responded to the law that they received. If you turn with me to Romans 14, a few pages over. Down to verse 10, Paul says, For we all stand before the judgment seat. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. When every person stands before the king of the universe on this day of judgment, there will be no more excuses, no more lies, no more secrets, because God knows and will expose every detail of a person's life. Again, the message translation was just beautifully clear, and that should be on screen for you. Verse 15 of the message says, their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day God makes his final decision about every man and woman. Down to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To give every man according to his words, according to the fruit of his deeds. I've had a thought this week that every single one of us have skeletons in our closets, right? That we all have things that either now or in the past that we're ashamed of, that we're trying to hide, we don't want anybody to ever see or discover. I just had this thought this week that there is deception in those skeletons. There's deception. We honestly think that those skeletons will never be seen, that they'll never be brought back up. But can I share with you what Paul is saying in verse 16? God has seen and is seeing those skeletons you're trying to hide. In fact, your skeletons are so visible to him. It's like they're in the middle of the stage with a spotlight right on them. And listen, on judgment day, even those secret sins, those secret motivations, those secret thoughts, your secret past will be judged by the king. You see, ultimately, everyone will be judged by the standard of Jesus Christ. We've been reading this passage the past few weeks, but it's worth reading over and over again. John chapter 3, down to verse 18. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, the ultimate question that everyone will be asked on judgment day is... What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Did you put your faith and hope in Jesus? Are you covered with the righteousness of Jesus? Listen, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to come to the Father is through him. Romans 8, starting at verse 1, says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So on judgment day, when the books are open and everyone stands before God to give an account for what they have done. Only those who have been ransomed and redeemed and covered with the righteousness of Christ will be exempt from eternal punishment. But God will expose the excuse that anyone will be exempt from this day of judgment. So what? I was talking to Pastor Stephen this week, and he saw how I was approaching the text, and he said, it'd be really cool to Look at maybe three ways of what we should say or not say before God. One day, um, I just thought that was clever, and I was like, oh, "I don't want to do that." It's the songwriter in me came in. <laughs> so I want to look at three uh, three things that we do not want to say when we stand before God, based off this text. First, you don't want to say, "I did my best." I did my best. Another way to say this is that I'm covered with my own righteousness. I try my best to be right with you, God. You know, God, I've tithed every week. I, I followed religion perfectly. I lived an upright life, good citizen, tried to fulfill all your commands. A lot like Matthew 19, the rich young man. What else can I do to enter heaven? Jesus says... Do the law. I did the law? What else? If you're like that, this, that young man today, if you're just working and working and working, trying to do anything you can to please God, and what you're finding out is that you can never do enough. You can never find peace. Can I tell you something that I pray will set you free? You will never be able to work your way up to heaven. You're not good enough. You're not perfect. Neither am I. The song of grace that we sing often here says, all the righteousness in me shows my desperate need of grace for my purest thoughts and deeds stand to justify the grave. That's you and me. Outside of Christ, we will never be good enough on our own. We're too covered with sin. You'll never make it to heaven in your own righteousness. Salvation is based on our not on our work, but on the work that Jesus has done for us. Listen, stop working and start resting in the one who fulfilled the law for you. Look to Jesus, who alone can make you right before the living God. Second thing that you don't wanna say when you stand before God is that I grew up in church I was in a Christian home. What I mean by this is that you are resting your hope on your family and church's spiritual condition alone and not looking at yourself. Same mindset the Israelites had in Paul's day, right? I had God's written law, therefore I'm justified before God. God. Brothers and sisters, our salvation isn't based on our genealogy, how we grew up, where we lived, what church we go to, or what our family believes. The question all of us must answer is, what did I do with Jesus? Do I believe in Jesus? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? For some of you, you have been sitting on the coattails of your family for most of your life on your experience, on your context. Because your parents are believers and because you grew up in the church and went down front one time and prayed a prayer, you believe you're good before God. You honestly, though, live a double life throughout the week, confessing to others that you are a believer, but in reality, the way you live is evidence that you, in fact, hate Jesus. Can I tell you from personal experience, that authentic faith changes your life. If you've never been changed by the power of Jesus Christ, and if your life looks the same as it did prior to Jesus, then you are just living a double life fooling yourself. It's not about what your mom and dad did. It's not about what your church believes and teaches. It's about what you have done with Jesus personally. This morning, the God of the universe calls you to repent from your sin and believe and surrender your life to Jesus. The third thing you don't want to say when you stand before God is, I didn't know. I didn't know. This could honestly be the saddest thing that someone could say before God to stand before the God of the universe who's made himself known through his creation and say, I never heard about Jesus. I didn't know the truth. I didn't know there was a way to be justified before you. Can I just share the greatest news in the world to you this morning? That though we were separated from God because of our sin. Jesus, the son of the living God, came and lived a perfect life that you couldn't live. He died a death that you deserved on the cross where he shed his blood to forgive you of your sins. And he rose from the dead on the third day to destroy death, to give you a new life and to reconcile you back to God. Jesus is the only way to make it to heaven, and only those who put their faith and life in him will be saved on Judgment Day. Brothers and sisters, I pray you feel the pressure and the urgency of this moment. This world needs this message of hope. The age all question what happens to the innocent person who's never heard about Jesus? Simple answer well, they go to heaven? They were innocent. Here's the problem. There's no one innocent before God, according to this text. Right now, over 3,000 plus people groups are unreached with the gospel. And if they die right now, they will go to an eternal hell simply because they have never heard the good news about Jesus. Listen, we must go with the gospel for the sake of over 3 billion people unreached. For the sake of the ones who have no access to the gospel, may we go and boldly declare that there is a remedy for this worldwide sickness called sin. Our prayer then is that every people one day could say confidently that I heard about Jesus. On judgment day, when we stand before God, three things we don't want to say is, I did my best. Well, I just grew up in church in the Christian home and I didn't know. But listen, the one thing we must say is that my worth, my value, my hope is in Christ in his righteousness alone. When he shall come with trumpet sound, or oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Can we pray? Father, as we've been talking about already, um, I think it's hard to accept that you, a loving, perfect God, would send anyone to an eternal hell. Well, but your word's clear. You are just, and we praise you for that this morning. We thank you that one day all the wrong in this world will be destroyed that you will bring a new heaven and a new earth full of your righteousness. We'll be long for the day to see you. But Lord, at this moment, I, I pray for the soul in this room who's never put their hope in Jesus. Mm. We pray, Father, this morning for the billions unreached. Oh God, let us feel that weight. Let us feel that urgency, Father. And I pray that you would stir our hearts to let us see the mission in front of us. And oh God, stir our hearts to go. Lord, I pray for life change to take place today. God, for repentance and faith. For those who don't know you, that today that they would turn from their sin, put their faith in Jesus, Lord God. And we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. And I pray now we will respond by faith. We love you. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?